Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, a listener writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is, why are creeds and confessions so important? Well, from the very earliest time in the history of the church, the church has not only proclaimed the truth of Scripture, but also dealt with distortions and radical departures from biblical truth and the appearance of multiple heresies that have threatened the church. Now, one of the earliest creeds thought to be the very first Christian creed was a simple statement, Jesus is Lord. And this came out of the context of a loyalty oath that was imposed by the Roman Empire. Christians were required to say publicly, Kaiser Curius, Caesar is Lord. The Christian church in the first century was quite willing to render civil obedience as much as they possibly could, but they balked at that statement, Kaiser Curius. They said in response to that, Jesus, ho, curious, Jesus is Lord. And the great creeds of the church history, such as the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedon Creed, were written in response to heretical views that were arising and even threatened the very existence of the Christian faith. This is true also of the historic confessions. These confessions were an attempt to crystallize the essence of doctrine found in the Bible. They were never to be seen as a substitute for Scripture or as having authority over Scripture. Rather, they give a summary of what Christians believe as defined in terms of confessional orthodoxy. Most Christians have heard things like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, but many Christians have a number of misconceptions about creeds. There is a lot of misunderstanding about the nature, the history, and the purpose of creeds. So here's five things that you should know about creeds. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which simply means I believe. The plural form is creedmus, which means we believe. In short, when we recite a creed, we are simply making a statement concerning what we believe. What this means is that if you believe anything at all, you have a creed. Well, what what if you say, I believe in no creed but Christ? That's a creed. It's a short creed, but it's a creed. And when we understand that creeds are human statements of faith, it also helps us understand the relationship between Scripture and creeds. Holy Scripture is inspired. The Greek word in 2 Timothy 3.16 is theopneustis, which literally means God breathes. Scripture is the inspired word of God. Creeds are non-inspired words of men. In the Scriptures, we hear God saying, Thus saith the Lord. In the creeds, we respond, We believe you, Lord. Second, The Bible itself uses creed-like summaries. Probably the most well-known example of this is a Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, which begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This short creed-like statement is expanded upon Paul in 1 Corinthians 8.6. Take account of the further revelation concerning Jesus Christ. Other creed-like statements of the New Testament are found in Romans 10, uh, 9 through 10, Jesus is Lord, and 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. Third, uh, this is important. The apostles did not write the Apostles' Creed. The legend that the 12 apostles wrote the Apostle Creed appears to have originated in the 4th or the 5th century, but there's no evidence that the legend is true. 
There's evidence in the second and the third centuries of the existence of short creedal statements in the churches. Now, one of the most well-known is the old Roman creed. Its content and the content of the others is very similar to the content of the latter Apostles' Creed. So the content of all these early creedal statements derives from even earlier baptismal liturgies in which the baptized was asked a series of questions from which they gave short formulaic responses. And the content of these short liturgical statements of faith is the same as the content of the earlier creedal statements. Some early Christian writers, such as Irenaeus, referred to the content as the regula fidei, or the rule of faith. It was a summary of the biblical teaching concerning God. Fourth, the Nicene Creed was written in order to defend the biblical teaching against God and heretics. Any reader of scripture will notice that it teaches several things quite clearly. First, the Nicene Creed teaches that there is only one and true God. Second, the Nicene Creed teaches that the Father is God. Third, the Nicene Creed teaches that the Son is God. Fourth, it teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. Finally, the Nicene Creed, it teaches that the Father is not the Son or the Spirit, the Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. Now, as both Christians and non-Christians asked about how all five of these teachings fit together, occasionally an answer, it would be proposed by some that solve the difficulties by rejecting one or more of the biblical doctrines. In fact, in the 4th century, we see this with a man named Arius. He solved the problem by denying that the Son is God. This created a controversy that lasted for decades. The controversy was dealt with at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and in 381 AD at the Council of Constantinople. And the result of these councils is what we call today the Nicene Creed. It is a statement of the church's belief about the biblical doctrine of God written to defend the belief against the anti-Christian doctrine of Arius and others. It follows the basic outline of the earlier and the short old creedal statements, but it adds specific language to rule out heretical distortions of that content. Fifth, the use of creeds is not a slippery slope to Roman Catholicism. As we're talking about this, all Christians have a creed whether they recognize it or not. All you have to do is prove this. Ask any Christian, including yourself. What do you believe the Bible teaches about? And then pick a topic. Whatever the response is, that's a creed. The early Protestants did not reject the ancient creeds of the church. They continued to teach and defend the biblical doctrine of the Trinity as summarized in the Nicene Creed. They continued to teach and defend the biblical doctrine of Christ as summarized in the definition of Chalcedon. It was only the heretics like the Socinians, the liberals of the 16th century, who rejected the ancient Christian creeds. Those who understand the place of creeds and confessions, they understand how helpful they are to the church. My concern is for those who don't know the creeds and the historic Reformed confessions, and thus don't refer to them or use them on a regular basis. Often, if they're not using them, they're not aware of them. They haven't studied them. Typically, they're basing their faith on a very short confessional statement that either their church or some organization has made up. All churches have to have some sort of basic confessional statement to some degree, but if they don't have a significant, uh, formulated, historic, attested to creed or confession, then the likelihood is that their creed or their confession is changing quite frequently, sometimes even based on the moods and the whims of their own pastors, elders, or the congregation. Creeds and confessions help us to ground us and to guard us. 
They become a perimeter to help us to know where we can go and where we can't go. They also serve uh, us as a map and a guide for us. After all, you use maps to help you look at where people or where you're headed if you're on a drive. You're saying, uh, they have gone here and have told us, don't go this way because you'll run aground there. You'll run aground into heresy there, into false teaching there, into error there. And so steer clear of this way and that way and steer a straight path. Creeds and confessions help us to steer the straight path. They help us to train our children. They help our teachers, our pastors, our elders to remain steadfastly orthodox in the faith. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.